Welcome to Look Again. Today's episode is going to be different than any other. I'm not used to being on this side of the microphone to talk about my life and the way serious mental illness has impacted me on a personal level. But the time has come. You right now get to be a part of a very real and candid conversation. It will describe scenes of mental illness and we will talk about death. So sensitive listeners, please be aware. And joining me today is a very special guest. I have the great honor of introducing you to my mother who joins us from Calgary. My mom, otherwise known as Linda, is one of the strongest people I know. She raised two children on her own, went to the University of Calgary when I did. So there's nothing like carpooling to university with your own mother. <laughs> and somehow managed to do it all effortlessly. Her daughters were and still are her life. Her youngest daughter is Carissa, affectionately referred to as Carissa Lynn, and I am 2 years older. Mom, welcome to look again. Okay. Here we go. Thank you so much, hun. Let's paint a picture, mom. You had two daughters, and we were just a tad different from each other. Why don't you describe some of our similarities and our differences growing up? Similar in that you were both tall and uh, slim, but in all other respects, really, you were totally different. Carissa Lynn was dark hair, dark eyes, olive complexion, where on the other hand, honey, you were tall, blonde, blue-eyed, and fair complexion. Chris also had a totally different personality. She was shy, quiet, very small circle of friends, but very close with her family, very loving. And everyone who knew her knew they were loved by Carissa. She struggled in school and was labeled as having a learning disability. I worked very hard with her, but she was able to earn her high school diploma. She was not active in sports, but she did participate in solitary activities. She was very content and laid-back individual, whereas you on the other hand were quite different. You were extroverted, surrounded by friends. School came very easy. You were always the honor student, captain of your sports teams, and full of energy and very driven. Laid back is not an adjective I would use to describe you. It truly was a gift to have two children so different. I even realized it as you were growing up. I learned very much from each of you because you were so different and I was so proud of everything that both of you did. Thanks, mom. No life was pretty normal for the three of us. You know, and we had a great childhood until things started to shift. What did you start to notice with Carissa first? I think the symptoms were there from a very early age, but I just recognized it as being different personality types in that she did keep to herself a lot and was a very shy person. However, when things started to change, her personality traits shifted as well. There were angry outbursts which she had never had before. 
She withdrew even more. And then she started smoking cigarettes, which led to smoking pot. While Chris was in this state, she decided to travel to South America. I was very proud of her for wanting to do this and branching out on her own. However, I was very worried at the time. She left her apartment in Calgary to travel to Guatemala and the rest of South America. And when we stepped into her apartment, that's how sick we realized she was. Why don't we talk about what we saw on those apartment walls? Yeah, that was certainly a very stressful time. When we went into Chris's apartment, the walls were absolutely covered with writing. There was poems, there was names, there was phone numbers, there was grocery lists, drawing. The walls in her apartment needed to be painted in order to get her damage deposit back. That's when we realized the extent of her state of mind. So Mom, now let's talk about what it was like for you to see your daughter and for me to see Carissa changing. And, and I guess I'll start. For me, I noticed physical changes with her. I noticed her eyes. She's always had dark eyes, but I noticed her eyes were becoming much darker. And she went from being this very gentle and quiet and loving person almost to a fault to being so angry and everything seemed to upset her. And it was also really hard for me, mom, to see the way that she treated you. She treated you awful. And I just went into protection mode. And for me, I, I didn't really understand, but I tried so hard to understand what she was going through she was talking to herself. It was obvious that she was hearing voices. She was paranoid. People were chasing her. There was a fly on the wall that must be a camera that she was being watched, followed, being told to do things like set the house on fire. I remember we also found her laying on that busy road. Right, yeah. She went outside in the middle of the night again and was laying in, in the road. And it was that time that I did contact the police and they took her to hospital for an assessment. And then when she did go to hospital, she would tell anyone in the psych department that she was adopted. She didn't have a mother. She didn't have a sister. There was a lot going on. Mom, the strength that you showed and the difficulty that you went through in working with the police to get her taken in, she did not want to go to hospital. She absolutely refused. She believed she was not ill. When she finally got into hospital, we were given a diagnosis of schizoaffective. She was 28 years old. And then after that initial hospital stay began a roller coaster ride for 16 years. And in those 16 years, she was also missing for four of those years. And that time, even now, is still so difficult to comprehend. When a loved one who was very ill, we didn't know where she was. 
I think it's really important to point out that Carissa did not acknowledge she was ill. And because of that, she chose not to get treatment, which is why it made it that much more difficult when she was living on the streets and missing for those four years. So I know for me, I was angry, I was hurt, I was worried, and I just didn't understand. This 16 years, it's difficult to even describe. There were several times that I needed to request a judge to what's called certification. So he would ask the police then to come and pick her up, take her to a hospital for assessment. So time and time again, she would either leave hospital of her own accord as soon as the certification papers were lifted and other times she went AWOL on the locked unit. Chris was very smart and could definitely find her way out with an open door when a visitor left or whatever. But several times during that time, she would be missing. The four years that she was a missing person was again just a very difficult time because I we had no idea where she was and the fact that we knew she was severely ill there really are no words to describe the feeling of not knowing where she was. Was she warm? Did she have food? Was she being taken care of? Knowing that she was impacted with the drug use as well. So she was on the streets and with people that, of course, we didn't know or, yeah, extremely difficult time. It was just a never-ending cycle, it seemed at the time. As you said, Mom, it was just an absolutely horrific time in our lives. And people have asked me, how did you cope? And as you and I both know, we don't really publicly talk about this. So the fact we're doing a podcast, Mom, shows we've come a long way. True. Yeah, how true. A lot of it was that you and I were extremely close. If I was on the, a call with the police or the missing person or the judge with every single movement, I passed along to you. But I think our close contact with one another kept me sane. And I would agree with that. It brought us closer. And even though we lived in different cities at that time, we saw each other a lot and made a point to see each other a lot. And we escaped and we fully acknowledged that's what it was, that we would always go on trips together. It was as if the holidays were just too much to bear. Yeah, we couldn't spend Christmas with family anymore. We didn't feel that we were a family because we just couldn't handle the whole Christmas scene. It wasn't the way it should be. Everything had completely shifted. Now, Mom, I wish I could say that I don't know what it's like, but I do. I went through it with you, but you lived it as a mother. You have two daughters. One would be considered successful by society standards, while your other daughter, with the same parents, the same environment, raised in the same home, ended up with a serious mental illness and lived on the streets of the downtown east side in Vancouver. And even though we talked about the genetics of schizophrenia in an earlier episode this season, and I understand the science and the data behind it, I still find myself struggling to wrap my head around this. Mom, how do you cope with the fact that Krissa and I ended up on such different paths in life? 
Yes, it's almost too hard to comprehend. I still go over things in my mind and what I could have done, what should I do, what could I have done differently? And then I try and say, well, you did the best you could at the time, but it's sort of a never-ending struggle. It shows how little we know truly about schizophrenia. Like you say, the same genetics, the same environment, same parents, and totally different outcomes. We have to take a little break here to remind our listeners about Look Again, but we'll be back. You're listening to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a podcast brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and BC Partner Organizations. I'm your host, Phaedra Aldridge. This podcast would not be possible without the support of the entire community. From the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you for caring about mental illness. Together, we truly can make a difference. And we're back with my mom, Linda, and we are sharing our experiences of having a family member, in this case, my younger sister, my only sibling, named Carissa, diagnosed with a serious mental illness, which changed the course of our lives. Okay, mom, let's talk about the diagnosis and how we dealt with it. We both wanted to take action, perhaps in different ways. Emotionally, we both struggled. I was hurt, I was worried. The one thing that kept me going was I looked for her until I was exhausted. I had a very good sergeant with the Calgary Police Force who was extremely good. He understood what I was going through and really helped me with my struggle to try and check the bus stations and checking drop-ins and youth centers and wherever I possibly could. So keeping myself busy in that respect. Every minute of every day, you were advocating for her. I think that's a really an, an important part for everybody to know that they really do need someone to advocate for them. Especially with Carissa, she did not realize her illness. So as far as she was concerned, she was making good decisions and, and doing what was best for her. She was free, and that's the life she wanted to lead. And at the time, it was everything she wanted. And you and I dealt with it very different. I was living in a different city, working full time, and I was so angry. I just couldn't understand where this sweet, loving, kind, compassionate individual went. And I also wanted to protect you. Carissa did display signs of anger and signs of violence and had portrayed that violence towards you at times. And it was really hard to see. And yeah, I missed her. And I knew that Carissa would never in a million years hurt our mother. But what I didn't know was this illness. So even though I knew Carissa would never hurt our mother, I knew this illness could, and that's what scared me. And as you and I both know, unfortunately, we do not have a happy ending to our story. Because in March of 2019, 
we were told that Carissa's body was found on Vancouver Island in her car. So let's rewind and talk about that awful day. You know, it was strange that day. I was sitting at the kitchen table with my iPad, having a cup of coffee, and answered the door, and the policeman was standing there, and he just looked at me and he says, can I come in for a minute? And nothing even clicked. I don't know where I was. And I said, sure. And I was walking down the hallway and it hit me and it was like, oh my gosh, Chrysalian. And I said, is she okay? And that's when he told me I have some news. So we talked for a few minutes and then I phoned you, sweetheart. And our whole world collapsed at that moment. Yeah. So diagnosed at 28, passed away in March. She had just turned 44. She was found Vancouver Island and her body was in her vehicle. And she died alone. March 2019 was not that long ago. No, it wasn't. And, you know, people always say to me, the time heals all wounds. But I completely disagree with that statement. At least for me, time may cover up the wounds and it may make the wounds less visible but the scars will always be there. Time, unfortunately, cannot heal all wounds. You just learn to accept the reality, to embrace the memories. And learn to live with that pain. Yep, learn to live with the pain and cherish those every day that are in your life. Now let's talk about telling people about Chris's diagnosis and the role that stigma played in telling other people that your daughter, my sister, had schizophrenia. played such a huge role when somebody has a chronic illness, Parkinson's or um, cancer, society will openly discuss and talk about it and share what a loved one is going through. But if a loved one has schizophrenia, people just shy away from it because they don't know what to say. They don't know how to react. They don't know the symptoms and what's involved, like the hospitalizations and the odd behaviors. It's very difficult for people to know what they're going through and what you're going through. And mom, you were a mental health social worker. You worked in this field. And that's why with what you and I went through, with your knowledge and my knowledge and the difficulties that sometimes felt insurmountable, you were educated in this area and we still struggled a lot. Oh my goodness, you know what? It was like I just had no concept 
of what parents and people who have a loved one who is so ill have any serious mental illness. My work did not equip me for what I dealt with. No matter how much knowledge or experience or skill you have in in dealing with it, it doesn't equip you to deal with a loved one. I even went through a period when Carissa was missing where I wouldn't even tell people that I had a sister. And it wasn't because I was embarrassed of her. It was almost just too painful to bear. And then a transformation happened and I realized that I had to face it. I wanted to learn more. I wanted to dive in and deal with it. And an opportunity for the CEO of the BC Schizophrenia Society came up and I applied and the first interview was the day we found out that Krissa passed away. And the day of her service was the day I found out that I got the job. Krissa did play a huge role in this and it drove me to want to make a difference and get involved in an area that I'm obviously extremely passionate about. And I know without a doubt that my younger sister played a big role in making this happen. And if I could give any advice to siblings, if you can relate at all to my story, I would say remember to take care of yourself, create boundaries. And I think another thing is to truly remember and believe that this illness is not their fault. It wasn't anything that they did or the family did or the family didn't do. This was not their fault. Mom, I am so grateful that you decided to do this podcast with me. It speaks to your bravery and your ability to be able to express yourself, to hopefully help other people that are going through a similar situation right now. And the reason I chose to shine the light on this topic and discuss my personal story about my beautiful sister is because I want to do my small part to increase awareness about serious mental illness. Schizophrenia does not happen to people out there. It happens and affects almost every person in some way. One out of 100 people is not rare. And I am so truly grateful to you, Mom, that you had the courage to advocate for her all those years. And now you have the courage to talk about her, to celebrate her life, and to give your perspective of a mother who lost a child to serious mental illness. You are an incredible person, Mom. Thanks for being here. Thank you, sweetheart. Love you. Love you too. And thank you to our listeners for being a part of this conversation. Please share this story and let's keep talking about serious mental illness. The fact it can happen to anyone, anywhere. 
I heard a saying that has stuck with me. Visibility and awareness is the path to normalization. I truly hope we can get there one day. This podcast is brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and the BC Partners for Mental Health and Substance Use Information. We're a group of nonprofit agencies providing good quality information to help individuals and families maintain or improve their mental well-being. The BC Partners members are Anxiety Canada, BC Schizophrenia Society, Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, Canadian Mental Health Association's BC Division, Family Smart, Jesse's Legacy, a North Shore Family Services Program, and Mood Disorders Association of BC, a branch of Lookout Housing and Health Society. The BC Partners are funded and stewarded by BC Mental Health and Substance Use Services, an agency of the Provincial Health Services Authority. For more information, visit heretohelp.bc.ca.